I'm so excited to be with you this weekend. We kicked off a new series last week called Unsubscribe, and we hope these messages will help you walk more closely with Jesus as we lead up to Holy Week and Easter. Last week, Cheryl talked to us about giving up something during Lent so that we can give to something better. Drawing near to God often requires a turning away from something else, a turning from distraction to delight from greed to gratitude, from anger to love, from anxiety to peace. And today, we'll look at what it means to turn away from a life of overwhelm to a life of rest. In his book, A Hidden Wholeness, Parker Palmer shares a story about how farmers in the Midwest would prepare for snowstorms. They would tie a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn as a guide to make sure they could get back to their home safely. Blizzards could come out of nowhere and were extremely dangerous. And at full force, a farmer in a blizzard might not even be able to see the end of their hand. Disoriented by their inability to see, many would freeze to death in these blizzards. They wandered in circles, lost sometimes in their own backyards. If they lost their grip on the rope, it was almost impossible for them to find their way home. Tragically, some froze within feet of their own back door never realizing how close they were to safety. Many of us are also living in a blizzard, and few of us have a rope. The blizzard I'm talking about is overwhelm. Between the demands of work and school and family, our lives are somewhere between full and maxed out. We multitask so much that we aren't even aware we're doing three things at once. We admire and respect people who are able to accomplish so much in so little time. We are overscheduled, tense, addicted to hurry, frantic, preoccupied, fatigued, and starved for time. We live highly calendared lives and do everything in our power to make the most of every spare minute we have. We end most of our days exhausted. Any free time we have during the week or on the weekend becomes filled with more demands in an already overcrowded life. We know we need to rest and recharge, but we can't stop. And if we aren't busy, we feel guilty that we're wasting valuable time and aren't being productive. We need a rope to lead us home. If I didn't just describe your life, I for sure was describing mine. Last month, I took a week off from work to pray and rest and do some reflection. I had originally scheduled to take some time off months ago, but for one reason or another, I just kept pushing it out and rescheduling it and overlooking this time. As much as I needed and wanted the break, there were other things that seemed more important and more urgent. Life got busy. I was sharing with my spiritual director that I was feeling tired and worn out, and and he encouraged me to stop rescheduling the break and make it happen. He could tell that I was worn out, that I was mentally drained, and I was discouraged. A few years ago, there was a story that hit really close to home. Andrew Stockling was the pastor of a megachurch in Southern California. He was young, charismatic, married, and had three young kids. He was leading a church that his father had started, and he had wrestled with anxiety and panic attacks and depression. He spoke openly about his struggles and the realities of mental illness. In his last sermon at Inland Hills Church, he talked about God meeting you in your mess. Just a few days after giving that message, Andrew killed himself in his office while his family was outside in the church playground. 
After his death, his wife Kayla wrote a reflection that I've read over a dozen times. She wrote, Andrew would often say, it's lonely at the top, but it doesn't have to be. We were never created to do life alone. It doesn't work. Related to this loneliness is a heavy burden of responsibility. Andrew would often refer to himself as the linchpin, the person holding everything together. I would constantly, lovingly point him back to Jesus and remind him who the linchpin really was. If we don't allow others to share the burden with us, we will crumble under the pressure of it all. The burden feels especially all-consuming when the demands of ministry seem relentless. It took years as a pastor for Andrew to find even one day a week to rest. If we don't create margin for rest, we will be running on empty. We have to be intentional about turning off our phone, logging off our email, or staying away from the computer for a day. Rest is the key to success. For leaders who have pledged to the church and to God to serve no matter the cost, it can be hard or even unthinkable to say the personal cost has become too high. But the truth is, your life and your health are more important than your ministry. If your ministry is killing you, if it's destroying your family, if it's exacerbating your depression, it is time to tell somebody and take a break. This was a tragic story, but unfortunately, it's not the only one out there. I could share others just like it. In fact, you could swap out the word pastor with just about any occupation, teacher, nurse, lawyer, engineer, dentist, stay-at-home parent, small business owner, you name it. Do you ever feel this way? The heavy burden of responsibility? That you're the one that's, that's holding so many things together, running on empty, crumbling under the pressure, the demands that are all-consuming and relentless. If so, you are not alone. We're here for you. I mean, if you're on the church platform right now, click on request prayer right now and someone will pray for you. Or if you're watching or listening to this later, we have resources available for you on our website. But let's be honest. Life has become increasingly more demanding, presenting us with more complex challenges at a relentless pace. I wish the solution was as easy as a week off in Hawaii, but it's not that simple. In the book, Immunity to Change, Harvard researchers Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy discuss how the increase in complexity associated with modern life has left many of us feeling in over our heads. When this is the case, the complexity of our world has surpassed our ability to handle that level of complexity and be effective. This has nothing to do with how smart we are, but with how we make sense of the world and how we operate in it. Our typical response to growing demands and workloads is to, to work harder and to put in longer hours rather than to step back and examine what makes us do this and find a way of operating. I read recently that Apple CEO Tim Cook wakes up at 3.45 a.m. every day and starts reading emails of which he receives over 800 a day. I usually get up around six and have less than 50, but then again, I'm not the one leading a $2 trillion company. But it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You can be running a big company, or you could be a single parent carrying multiple jobs, doing your best to make ends meet. The demands can overwhelm anyone. 
Not only are our inboxes overflowing, we now have to manage multiple inboxes to keep track. Slack, Teams, Instagram, LinkedIn, Gmail, Twitter, Facebook, Clubhouse, just to name a few. And then there's the to-do list that never ends. It feels impossible to make a dent in your growing list of things that need to be done. And you feel like you're trying to dig yourself out of a hole that just keeps getting deeper. Some of us live with the illusion that someday maybe things will slow down just enough that you'll finally have time to rest or spend time learning a new hobby. But that someday never seems to come. What about our calendars? Is there any room in your schedule to connect with friends or family or take a break to slow down or does it take weeks or months to schedule something in like that? Maybe you have a high pressure job where you constantly have deadlines looming over your head or maybe you're having to keep track of a lot of appointments for your family. Productivity gurus recommend cutting back on the number of tasks that you're trying to achieve or increasing the time frame for which you aim to get things done or slightly lowering your standards. Uh, they say to gain control of our lives, we should plan and schedule ahead or delegate where possible or by being assertive about what you can and cannot take on. And all of that is still easier said than done. Even with that advice, we are still overwhelmed. But it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus had something to say about this. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus often invited people to follow him. And normally his invitation went something like this. Whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But in this particular invitation, Jesus appealed to everyone who was tired and weary and burned out. He simply said, come to me, find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This image of, a, of an easy yoke is a bit odd and unfamiliar to us. And we forget that a yoke is a tool for work. It was used to harness oxen together to plow a field. And that sounds like the last thing someone who's burned out really needs. If you're tired and weary, you don't want a yoke. You want an escape. But Jesus is wise, and he knows that life is made up of an unending series of burdens. There's no way around the weight of responsibilities of life on this side of eternity. What we need isn't an escape from that weight, but a way to carry it with ease and joy. And, and that's what Jesus offers, a way to carry the weight of life with a smile on your face. I really like the, the message version of this passage. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You see, there's this symbiotic relationship between work and rest. And on some level, we all know this. We get away from work and from time to time in order to replenish our bodies and our minds. Often we can't see our work properly unless we get some 
distance from it and immerse ourselves in other things. When I took time off last month, I spent as much time as I could outdoors. I went on a long run. I went for a hike in the woods. I went snowboarding. And I definitely came back feeling um, more replenished with some sense of fresh perspective. But the relationship between work and rest also operates at a deeper level. Uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, writes about how all of us are haunted by the work under the work. That need to prove and save ourselves, to gain a sense of worth and identity. This is what drives so many of us. Our worth and our identity is tied to our work, what we produce, what we accomplish. Harold Abrams, who was an Olympic sprinter, said in his famous line in the movie Chariots of Fire, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. He based his entire identity and worth to what he could accomplish in the 100-meter dash. Robert Barron, who's the bishop of the Archdiocese of LA, writes that at the heart of original sin is the refusal to accept God's rhythm for us. He traces this all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve worked and enjoyed creation. However, they were not God and they lived within limits, one of which was to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Barron writes, that God was teaching them that after the full flowering of their achievements and activities, they were invited not to be active, not to accomplish, but to surrender and trust. Action, then passivity. Striving, and then letting go. Doing all one can do, and then being carried. Only in this rhythm is the spirit realized. We live in a world without rhythm. It's always go, 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 and never stop. All the modern tools and technologies we created were supposed to make us work more efficiently, giving us back more time so we could work less. But instead of choosing more time, we chose more work and more money. So we don't just work five days a week anymore. We work 24-7 wherever we are because we have smartphones and Wi-Fi and Zoom. Now there's no reason to miss a meeting wherever you are because you can just zoom in unless that is you have multiple meetings at the same time. But Jesus offers a way of life that includes a rhythm of surrender and trust, of striving and letting go, of doing everything one can do and then being carried. In the scriptures, this rhythm is called Sabbath. It orients our lives around God. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease or to stop. It refers to a unit of time around which we orient our entire lives as holy or set apart from the other six days. In the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is about the Sabbath. In Exodus 20, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath is one day out of the week to stop working and rest. 
God knew we would need this for our well-being. He created the entire world in six days, but on the seventh day, he rested. And at the very least, what God is telling us is that work isn't everything. He stopped working. But God is also telling us, as his people, that we are made in his image. God's people were not machines simply to be used as tools for labor. And just as God worked six days and rested on the seventh, he commands his people to do the same. When the Israelites received these commandments, it was the first time in their lives they were invited to rest. Moses wrote Exodus for the generation that had just come out of Egypt. And the Ten Commandments was God's way of saying, this is who you are. And then 40 years later, Moses wrote Deuteronomy and restates the Ten Commandments. But now he's addressing the next generation. And in Deuteronomy 5, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy portrays the Sabbath as a reminder of their emancipation from slavery. It reminds them how God delivered his people from a condition in which they were not treated like human beings, but simply units of capacity in Pharaoh's brick production system. In Egypt, the Israelites were measured by the number of bricks they could produce. If you couldn't produce, you were punished and you were considered worthless. Brick after brick after brick, the Israelites got it drilled into their lives that their value came from their output. The Israelites lived as slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They never had a day off. They were treated as tools of production to build pyramids. They weren't treated like humans. They worked seven days a week, 365 days a year. To them, life was about performing an endless number of tasks with one day blurring into the next. Then, when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, he affirmed that they were sacred human beings made in his image with a life and a mind and a soul. And he showed them how to live according to their God-given nature. When we practice Sabbath, we are receiving our God-given identity from a life of proving our worth by what we do to humans who are deeply loved by God for who we are. But we live in a culture that doesn't make Sabbath easy. Instead, it's, it's a badge of honor to be called a workaholic. When somebody asks you how you're doing, what's one word we almost always use? Busy, busy. Almost everyone I know is busy. Whether you're retired or working or in between jobs, you're busy. You can be a parent raising young kids or single and living alone, and you're busy. Even teenagers are busy. I know because I live with two of them. Busy is synonymous with I'm important. If you're not busy, what's wrong with you? We brag about how many hours we work and and take pride in how many commitments we have. Who has time for a day off? If my peers are working hard and sending emails late at night and over the weekend, won't they judge me if I'm not doing the same? It's easy to fall into the lure that good things like promotions and accolades and new job opportunities only come to those who work like machines. We either don't want to rest, we're embarrassed to rest, or we feel guilty for resting. But the scriptures show us that God not only commands, but blesses the Sabbath. Rest isn't optional or recommended. Rest 
is essential for the natural order of God's creation. Resting is part of God's design for order and peace. And if we don't find Sabbath in our lives, Sabbath will come and find us. Sabbath will come in the form of a sickness or burnout or high blood pressure or a heart attack. If we don't stop, our bodies will stop and it won't be up to us. So let's, let's practice this right now. Uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to have a Sabbath moment. Uh, we're going to play a, a familiar hymn, and I want to invite you to fully engage in this moment by stopping whatever else you might be doing as you watch this service, and let the music and the words bring rest to your soul. And then after the song, we're going to talk about what Sabbath might look like for your life.
Bill Gates reflects on what he's learned about the necessity of rest. He wrote on his blog, back in my early Microsoft days, I routinely pulled all-nighters and when we had to deliver a piece of software. Once or twice, I stayed up two nights in a row. I knew I wasn't as sharp when I was operating mostly on caffeine and adrenaline, but I was obsessed with my work and I felt that sleeping a lot was lazy. I realized that my all-nighters combined with almost never getting eight hours of sleep took a toll. Matthew Walker, the director of UC Berkeley Center for Human Sleep and Science, explains how neglecting sleep undercuts your creativity, problem-solving, decision-making, learning, memory, heart health, brain health, mental health, emotional well-being, immune system, and even your lifespan. You see, science and really smart people like Bill Gates say those who take time off to rest and enjoy life end up living longer and healthier and better lives. And God has already told us how to do this. Take a day off. Stop working. Rest and relax. God created the world in six days. He worked. And we know that God affirms work. Work is a good thing. God has work for all of us, for each one of us to do. Work is a part of God's creation. We work because we are made in the image of a working God. But we are also called to rest because we are made in the image of a resting God. Every week, God wants you to remember that you are not a machine that you matter because God made you and loves you, not because you are able to keep producing nonstop. Whether you are working or resting, you are bearing his image. The purpose of Sabbath is not simply to rejuvenate yourself in order to produce more and work harder, nor is it simply the the pursuit of pleasure. The The purpose of Sabbath is to enjoy God, your life, and what you have accomplished with his help. In the words of A.J. Swoboda, Sabbath dethrones humanity from its self-aggrandized place of lordship over creation by handing authority of the world back to the one to whom it already belongs. I love that. So how do we Sabbath? How do we uh, turn from overwhelm to rest? Well, Sabbath literally means to stop. And most of us can't stop until we're finished with whatever it is we think we need to do. We need to complete our projects and our work, answer our emails, return phone calls, pay our bills, finish cleaning the house. Uh, There's always one more thing that needs to be done before stopping. But Sabbath means to stop. It doesn't mean you're done. It just means stop. When we Sabbath, we embrace our limits. God is God and the world continues working just fine when we stop. We stop worrying about tomorrow and and trust that God will take care of us. So what do we do when we stop? We rest. And this is where I'd say, keep it simple. Don't be legalistic about this. Use your imagination and and find creative approaches that include new ways to incorporate rest and well-being into your life. Do whatever delights and replenishes you. Take Take a nap, exercise, go for a long walk read a novel, watch a good movie, have a glass of wine or two, go out for dinner, have a long conversation with a friend, go out on a date with your spouse. Almost anything that gets you off your computer or your phone is good. And when we stay sop and rest, we respect our humanity 
and the image of God within us. John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, says there's a discipline to the Sabbath. It takes a lot of intentionality. It doesn't just happen to you. It takes planning and preparation. It takes self-control, the capacity to say no to a list of good things so you can say yes to the best. He says it's the primary discipline by which we cultivate the spirit of restfulness in our lives as a whole. Isn't it interesting that Sabbath is the only spiritual discipline in the Ten Commandments? Not even Bible reading or, or prayer made the list. Maybe, just maybe, a key step toward a life of prayer or meditation or generosity starts with the practice of rest. Instead of endless productivity, we can practice a rhythm of working and resting, paying attention to our need to grow in all dimensions of what it means to be human, heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, if you aren't practicing Sabbath, you're missing out on the best day of the week. Make a commitment today, make a commitment to take one day every week for rest from your work. This will take time and practice and discipline, but don't give up on it and don't feel guilty for doing it. Do the work of Sabbath. And my hope is that you will experience an abundance of joy at work well done, a diminished sense of hurry and anxiety in your life, that you'll enjoy creation and that you'll delight at God's provision for you while you stop and rest. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we want to take on your, your yoke, your way of life so that we can find rest for our souls. And Heavenly Father, we admit and confess sometimes we are just so driven to prove ourselves, our identity, our worth, our value. But we're reminded today that our value is in bearing your image. It's in being your children. And so Father, help us to develop this rhythm of working and resting, of striving and ceasing, of surrendering and trusting in your care and in your power. Be with us as we do this together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.